Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You've seen their comedies, Horrible Bosses, Game Night, and Vacation. But now, directors and writers John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein are bringing the popular role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons to the big screen. And this weekend's Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. They're here with us today on Crew Call. So, guys, tell me about how you first met. Well, um, I was an actor on the Gina Davis show, which was a little-known sitcom on ABC uh, in the early 2000s. And Jonathan was a staff writer on it. And we um, discovered that we both made short films as kids and showed each other our silly films and decided to write uh, a pilot together that that I would act in. Um, and the process of it was so fun and exciting that we decided to write a spec together, a feature spec called The $40,000 Man, which ended up selling to New Line. And that's kind of how it all started. From there, tell me about how it evolved with Horrible Bosses. Yeah, well, we... Um... We were brought in to rewrite Horrible Bosses. I think it had been kind of on the shelf for a while. And um, and at first we were a little reluctant. It seemed like a kind of a far out, far out premise to us. But then we thought, all right, well, maybe there's a maybe there's a way to do this that's that's fresh. And you know, what we found was this ability to write characters in a way that actors would respond to it, um, which is obviously probably the biggest hurdle in getting movies made is getting enough talent attached to it. And I remember being on vacation, I think, in London and getting a call from my then agent telling me, so we've got uh, we've got Jamie Foxx and we've got uh, Jennifer Aniston and uh, Colin Farrell. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. Really? <laughs> like, it didn't seem real to me, um, but it was a very exciting start. And from there, you know, we just kind of um, made a path by either if it wasn't our own original thing of taking stuff that people hadn't quite cracked and getting it over the line to get it made um but all the while aspiring to direct and and that opportunity came thanks to our relationship with new line with the vacation movie that we wrote and uh and from there you know it's off to the races there are a few things more frustrating uh sometimes than wanting to uh, than being a writer that also aspires to direct <laughs> because you're sort of sitting there watching uh, choices being made that you wouldn't normally make. Um, and then that, that, I guess, is the plight of, of the writer. So what's the trick in convincing the studio, hey, we got this, we know what to do? Um, we wrote, we made a few short films together and showed kind of how serious we were about it uh, the biggest hurdle was getting that waiver from the Directors Guild to work as co-directors. Um, and so after that, uh, I think they they trusted us enough. It was New Line, so that we had worked with them many times before as writers. 
they trusted us enough to to jump into it. And after that, I think, you know, we we decided to push ourselves a little bit further, challenge ourselves in terms of the aesthetic and the tone. And that's what led to game night, which again was fortunately a testament to the studio to allow us to to take a risk like that where you're shooting something that looks very much like a thriller um with music that in no way tips the comedy that is if you if you play it with the sound off you could think of it as a as a full-on thriller drama and that was really appealing to us because we we started to feel a fatigue um for the comedies that we had seen on film that felt, for lack of a better word, kind of lazy. Um, visually speaking, also, it felt like there was a reliance on improvisation. I, we're huge fans of improvisation in, in, in doses, but if you're trying to kind of weave a story that requires specifics and pace, there's only so much of improv that you can do. And so that was very much a reaction to what we thought the way that comedies were kind of headed. You guys rode this great wave of comedy and then all of a sudden comedy started waning. Yeah. What is your take on that? Because frankly, vacation was very funny. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, look, obviously COVID didn't do any favors. Um, but I think even before COVID there was, it, it's the, the rise of streaming plays a part, the rise in home theaters. I think there came to be this sense in the public that if I'm going to go out and spend quite a bit of money for most people at the movie theater, it better be something that is substantially better than what I can watch at home. Or if I wait a month, I'll see it at home. And the, the, price that that took from you know the, the communal experience of watching a comedy I think is still right up there with horror it's about the best theatrical experience um and it's a shame because I, I know when I watch a comedy at home I don't laugh very much I'm much more likely to laugh when I'm in an environment where everybody's kind of enjoying it together um but you know we we in the industry are not blameless i think like john said there was a laziness to it there was a sense that if we attach a funny person and have a big broad premise then we don't have to worry about too much of what happens in those 90 or 120 minutes and there's a i think you know audi audiences might have been underestimated a little bit in that um there wasn't this awareness that audiences had this fatigue toward um, comedies that were kind of shitty <laughs> and turned people off of them. Are studios more hesitant to greenlight feature comedies now because of this politically correct environment we live in? I don't you know, know. It's like, yeah, Robin Williams would have a hard time, I think, right, getting by yeah, now. A lot Look, of a lot of people would would now, I think. Um, I don't think it's personally, personally. Yeah, I would, I would say no to that. I think that is an unwillingness to adapt to the natural evolution of society. And I think there's a way to make something funny where you don't have to offend people or make them feel bad, nor do you have to trivialize certain groups of people. Um, but it is, you know, it, it can be harder. Um, 
and not it's necessarily not, as mean spirited, but we don't we don't like mean spiritedness. No, I, I think it forces it forces us to up our game. I mean, you know, there's stuff in horrible bosses that we could never do now, even though that wasn't that nor long. nor would we nor would we choose to. No, and and so you know, a movie like Game Night, we made a real effort to stay away from jokes that were raunchy or or blue or whatever, you know, and really just try to get the comedy from the character and the situation. And I think that is very possible. It's also what we did in, in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's um, the laughs are not at the um, to the detriment of any group or attitude or whatever. Um, they are specific to the situation and the people. So Dungeons and Dragons, how did it all occur? I had read something that you had walked into a bar. There was a lit agent. Yeah. Who yeah, my, my wife and I were uh, big Cubs fans. And when they played the Dodgers, there was a blackout, unless you had Spectrum Time Warner. You can delete all this boring stuff. Um, and uh, so we decided we really wanted to see this game. We went in the afternoon to a, a bar in Sherman Oaks called The Sherman. And sitting literally right next to us was a guy in a suit who we later found out was a lit agent. And Jonathan and I had left uh, the flash, but it wasn't public knowledge yet. And uh, and he uh, he used that that knowledge to talk to our manager as well as uh, John Gonda over at Paramount, saying, "Hey, the boys are looking for another big fun movie. Uh, what about Dungeons and Dragons?" And that's what led to our meeting with John Gonda at Paramount. And we started to become pregnant to, with this idea of, you know, finding a way to tell a fantasy story that hadn't been told before with the comedy that you find with a and d campaign and that sort of unpredictability and storytelling. And that's that it was a snowball effect from there. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You get a meeting like this. You get a yeah. you get a you get a shot to interview on a big franchise film. Do you walk in with just ideas, or do you go all the way? Do you go well, with a reel of how no, you, you would think no. it would look, or a we look? Not, we went in with some ideas, I would say, and an overall kind of structure of of how we saw the movie. But in a weird way, I think we were interviewing them as much as they were interviewing us because we needed to know that they were open to the kind of D&D movie we wanted to make. We weren't going to go in and give them a whole song and dance if at the end of it they were going to say, nah, we don't want any laughs in this movie or, you know, any any number of objections they could have had. So it was really a testing of the waters at first. Um, and luckily they were on board and they did see the same kind of vision for what this could be. The sensibilities definitely aligned. And I also think the one thing that was alluring to us right off the bat was the existing script um, had it as a heist film. And we thought that was an interesting way in. For both of you and for the studio, 
what were the concerns about the IP? Obviously, you guys had the sensibility to change this, to make it broad, to make it fun. And that's who you both are. Was there any discussion of, you know, in the past when they tried to make this, it was too dark. It was low rent Hobbit. Were those discussions had? Absolutely. Well, between certainly between John and and me, we, we had those conversations because we knew that it couldn't just be another kind of dark gray medieval fantasy film. It, it would have been the most generic film in the world if, if, if it had had that tone, because I think what is so specific about D&D and allows us to tell a different story in a different way is that that tone and the fact that the even the monsters and the creatures and the locations are all so bizarre and different from what you normally see in the fantasy space so and we we came in with the same kind of concerns as you're you're expressing you know you see dungeons and dragons you know it hasn't been successfully brought to the screen before um you also know there's a large portion of the viewing public that sees a title like that or a medieval setting and just checks out thinks it's not for them so we had to overcome that bias from the get-go. Um, and that's, that's you know, we'll, we'll see if we have. It, I don't know. It, it, it's very much how Hugh Grant reacted when he was sent the script. He said, oh, Dungeons and Dragons, that's not for me. But his agent, you know, pushed, pushed him to give it a read and he read it. And then he saw, I think, what was so unique about it. And, and that's what got him excited was that was that that tone now this is very hard to sum up in the course of a short conversation but the action scenes in this were breathtaking and extremely different from any i've really seen in any other film like case in point the one image that comes to mind is when they fall out of the rook and they're falling down and then they slip through the transformative mirror that was amazing how does that come about do you right. blow by blow write that in the script or does some of this kind of come up while you're shooting or no. in the post VFX? No, no, none wow. of it came up after Thought the fact. It was all it was all conceived in the earliest stages. It was the reaction that we had to the way that action is often depicted these days where you don't really understand what the geography of the action, you don't know what's going on. It's, it's done with tight angles and quick cuts. And to us, we really wanted to challenge ourselves and make it feel as make the camera feel as gymnastic and loose and, and yet at the same time, tangible as we possibly could. So with a sequence like that, I, I would add to that, um, in the same way that we try to make our humor come out of character, we try to make the action come out of circumstance so that it's specific to where we are, so that it really uses the environment in the way that the, to some extent the Bourne movies did, obviously very different style, but you know, when she uses that cobblestone or she's in the arm, Hulk is in the armory and she uses the weapons that are around her like John Wick would or Jackie Chan, um, there's a real um, intentionality to the action, at least that's what we aim for. Uh, that said, we didn't hit every beat in the script because then the script would have been like 400 pages long. Um, so much like with our egg chase in game night, we said on page, what follows is a chase where they tried to get the egg, uh, but then knew that that was just a placeholder for the 
for the specifics that we would come up with after the fact. So essentially, how does that work out? Because sometimes if you describe the action in the script, it can kind of be like, if you're reading it, yeah. you can yeah. be like, oh, well, yeah. what's going on it's, here? Well, the, the good thing about being writer-directors is we know that we are going to understand what our intention was. We very much believe that a script needs to be readable and an enjoyable read. Um, and so we try never to bog it down with too much specificity in the description, um, as long as we know, and we're getting across enough to the people reading it, the specifics. But to, to talk um, specifically to how we did it, we, after the fact, worked with um, uh, storyboard artists and described our vision of how we, we saw it happening, and they would help to kind of fill in the visual blanks of how to get from point A to point B. And then if it was a really technical uh, sequence, we would then uh, have it done as an animatic where you see it in live action, which we would then emulate um, on camera. Did you story have this script soup to nuts, beginning to end storyboarded or only no. the most complex scenes? We didn't have that luxury. We would have loved to, but we were working uh, at a rapid pace the entire time. Part of that was because of COVID where we had a lot of our actors and set designers and pretty much anyone that shipped in from out of uh, the UK had to quarantine. And so that would force us to sort of expedite certain elements of it. Um, but the more technically specific sequences were all storyboarded. Um, and then this, the dialogue scenes, we would just shot list with Barry Peterson, our DP. So tell me about the production schedule here. Was it after everything had eased? Was it after 2020? Oh, it, was, it, was the height of, it was the height of COVID. We had anybody who came to be on set in Northern Ireland had to quarantine for 10 days. Um, we were limited in where we could go. We originally thought we might shoot some parts in France. That became untenable. Um, so it was very much... Everything was harder, um, you know, three months a week, uh, COVID testing, all that. Did you ever have to shut down? We shut down for uh, all, what ended up being a day and a half. Yeah. And I mean, it was a testament to the, the you know, the, the COVID protocols and the fact that we were really careful throughout and, you know, worked within our own uh, bubbles. Um, but also makes for a less than enjoyable experience because so much of making a film is the camaraderie and that sense of um, that sense of brotherhood that you feel when you're when you're that familial feeling that you get when you're when you're making a film. But that said, you know what the bubble did allow us to do is bond with our cast and our core crew members that we were all in the same zone as, and that in and of itself is akin to uh, an intimate D&D &D campaign that you could play. Who else are the champions for this film at Paramount? You got a great marketing guru in Mark Weinstock. Yeah. Look, yeah. I think everybody, Brian everybody. Robbins, Mikey Ireland and Daria and John Gonda and Meg, they, they've all been very much, the reason they're screening the hell out of this movie is because they believe in it. And they believe word of mouth is our best ally here. That's 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 the biggest that's the biggest thing we got is is getting as many eyes on this thing and having people tell people this isn't what you expect. This is actually really special. And that's what we're we're hoping for. 
So I saw the movie at South by with our social media editor, Scott, who knew really nothing about D and D and with Ryan Fleming, one of our, one of our junior reporters who is a diehard D and D fan. They both loved it. It's like, could not have seen it with the perfect pair. They both were over the moon about it. And it accomplished exactly what you wanted to do, which was, play to diehards and non-diehards alike. Yeah, that's great yeah. to hear. That was our definitely our intention from the start because you can't you, you can't hope for a successful movie with only half the audience being interested. Jonathan and John, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Great questions. Really appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.